Eight games on a busy Tuesday night. You didn't watch them all. We did. We're going to tell you what you need to know. And one of those games was the first in the post-Tibbs era in Minnesota, and a fun one at that. The league is investigating the Cavaliers deal with Patrick McCaw. We'll give you an update on that as well. It is the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Let's do this. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. On Wednesday, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. And I am John Corrales, co-host of the Locked on Celtics podcast, beat writer, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com. And you can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. So we had a full slate of games on a busy Tuesday night. A lot of one-sided matchups, things going the way that we thought they might. So you didn't watch them all. We did. And we've got a segment we call Too Long Didn't Watch here for you. Starting with the Indiana Pacers 123-115 over the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs just aren't good. I think that's like <laughs> the story of this one. Yeah, the I guess if you're Cleveland, there's two things to be happy about. Well, Larry Nance's knee injury, he left with that, does not appear to be serious. And you came back in the second half. You didn't get blown out. And maybe Indy was looking ahead to their game against the Celtics, which is on Wednesday night. They're traveling on the back-to-back. So once they felt like they had this game in hand, maybe they kind of let off the gas. But from a Cavs perspective, hey, some fight. That's positive. You still lost. You're still in the Zion Williams race. So, uh Zion Williamson. So yeah, it's all good. Yeah, there you go. You guys lose. That's what you want there. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Philadelphia 76ers, 132 over the Washington Wizards, 115. The Wizards season just not going the way they hoped. Uh, Jimmy Butler with 20 points in this one. Joel Embiid with 20 as well. Then off the bench, you had Landry Schmidt with 29 points. That was a bit unexpected. Very unexpected. Eight of 14 from three. It's the 15th time this season that someone has made eight three-pointers. That is not easy to do. Uh, Washington just continues to swirl down the toilet. Bradley Beal, though, 28 points. He's good. He's good. I'm just saying, Washington, if you want to uh, hit the reset button, Bradley Beal's the way to do it. Just saying. Yeah, the, 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 someone will give up a lot for a him. Lot, a lot. It's just He's so good. Do they want to? And We talked about this last week. I don't think they do, which is disappointing because I think I want to see a lot of these Wizards players on other teams where they can actually win NBA games. <laughs> uh, maybe a closer one than we were thinking was going to be the case tonight. The Denver Nuggets getting a win there, 103-99 over the Miami Heat. They kind of needed this one, I think, a little bit. Good performance is kind of... All around, but Nikola Jokic, of course, another triple-double for him. 29 points, 10 assists, 11 rebounds. Yeah, he's just continues to roll on, man. The guys were talking about it on yesterday's podcast. He's so, so good. and he He's so good that he hit some shots that just looked like they had no business going in down the stretch. But he's got that feathery touch from the Miami side. Deion Waiters came back. Waiters Island, back in business. 
And that pairing with him and, and Dwayne Wade is going to be really, really interesting to watch as Miami pushes for a playoff spot down the stretch. Yeah, they've been more competitive recently as they've started to kind of figure things out. Kind of nice to see in Wade's final year. Another close one that was a little more unexpected, potentially, the Toronto Raptors 104 over the Atlanta Hawks 101. This one probably should have gone the other way, but uh, Toronto kind of doing what they wanted, just not getting enough. 26 fast break points, but giving up 21, though, scoring 34 turnover points in this one. Yeah, it also didn't help Toronto that John Collins is really, really good. He's probably the guy that the league should be talking about a lot more. But because he's doing this in Atlanta, he's flying under the radar. Everybody should be paying attention to what John Collins is doing. He is a second-year player who is very, very good. And probably, I know everybody's looking at Trey Young, and Trey Young's going to be part of it too. But Collins is going to be one of those, it looks like, one of those cornerstones if the the Hawks are going to climb up to respectability. I, I feel really proud that I drafted him in a fantasy league last year and he was oh my, my keeper. God. And That's I'm great. pretty pumped about that one. Um, thanks to some help from the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. Also, Jeremy Lin. Good tease. It's like we're pros. Um <laughs> Uh, Jeremy Lin, 20 points in kind of a throwback effort. He's a guy that maybe could be on the move eventually that could could help a team somewhere, too. I can see a team that's looking to buy at the deadline giving up something for Jeremy Lin. I can totally see that. Yeah, it just makes too much sense there. You know, he doesn't fit their timeline, anything like that. Moving on, the Suns grabbing a victory, 115-111 over the Sacramento Kings. This was an interesting one with the Kings putting up 40 points in the second and then going and scoring 14 in the third while Phoenix put up 33 there. Kind of an, a closer game. Kings are coming back down to earth a little bit. Yes, and just selfishly from the Boston perspective, yay, because Boston owns the Sacramento pick if it's anywhere from two or below that. So the the Kings came out hot, and I I don't want to celebrate the Kings' demise because they were actually fun. They've 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 been been really fun. fun. They've been a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot of promise there. De'Aaron Fox, uh, talking about young guys who are so good. This next generation of players is really, really good. Fox is one of the the best among them. So he's fun. He had a big game tonight. He, you know, dunking on guys. It's it's just really fun to see him play. Uh, But uh, the numbers for Sacramento, if you look, if you took a deeper look at the numbers, they, they didn't agree. The advanced analytics didn't agree with how much Sacramento was winning. So this leveling out was probably very predictable, uh, but still, it's again from the Boston perspective as they watch to see how that pick, a potential lottery pick, can go. This this helps the Boston Celtics. Yeah, um, Fox also had eight turnovers in this one, which probably doomed the team a little bit. But he's still going to be a stud. Is pretty fun to watch. Kelly Oubre Jr. with 26 points mm-hmm. off the bench for Phoenix. That trade actually looks kind of good for him all of a sudden. Yeah, and obviously Oubre is what a restricted free agent, right? So the, he's he's putting up some numbers here. He's showing that he, when he's showcased, can put up the numbers, and that's only going to help his free agency. So that's another wrinkle as we go into a summer where half the league is a free agent. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of money out there. You have to figure he's probably in line to get paid 
pretty well. Although, who knows? Restricted free agency, as we're going to talk about later on, can get kind of interesting, apparently. Um, Moving on in the next game, Golden State Warriors 122-95 over the New York Knicks. Noah Vonley had maybe 19 of the longest minutes in the NBA this season, probably of his life, as he just got bullied around by Draymond Green down low, which kind of sprung the Warriors racing out to a lead in this one. Klee Thompson scoring 43 also helps that, I guess. Yeah, that really helps. Uh, Knicks had no resistance, no answers, no nothing. Uh, They were competitive early, and then just forget it. It all fell apart. The most exciting thing to me was Mario Hazonia dropping some points and, and having a couple of dunks down the stretch that were fun. Yeah, it's just kind of went one way. Moving on to another one that was closer early but started to get away. The Clippers 128 over the Charlotte Hornets 109. Charlotte's probably a team that should be sellers but probably aren't as we talked about last week. Clippers bench, though, with Lou Williams. We know what he can do, 27 points. Montrez Harrell also getting in on the action, 23 from him. Their bench was pretty big in this one. They're they're deep. They can do some damage, 63 bench points. Yeah, the, the the Clippers are just kind of a a wild card out west, and and I'm a big Montrez Harrell fan. It's, who who isn't at this? Yeah, point? Yeah, I think at this you know? point, like everyone likes him. Yeah, he's just so cool, man. Uh, yeah, the Clippers the Clippers can make some noise. It's hard to really put a a gauge on how good the Clippers are and how much damage they're really going to do because they're one of those teams that when they're playing together. The the sum of the parts is is greater than the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts or whatever that saying is. But they don't have that mega star that's going to carry them in a playoff matchup. So it it feels like the Clippers maybe they'll win a first round series, but I don't know how far they're gonna go. Uh, I mean, as far as Charlotte goes, uh, they they yeah. are desperate. <laughs> They're desperate to make the playoffs. They need something to sell the fans. Uh, they're a team, just like I said with Bradley Beal, they they need to send Kemba Walker somewhere where that poor guy can actually have some fun and, and hopefully attach a bad contract to him for the right to get an all-star level point guard. I don't think that they're going to do it, though, but that's what they should do. Yeah, definitely. So... One game we didn't mention we're going to talk about coming right on up here, and that is the Timberwolves taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder, the first game in the post-Thibodeau era. Before we do that, though, I just mentioned it. I got my secret keeper that's kind of been the one good thing going on in my fantasy league by listening to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. If you want to try and win your league, win some bragging rights, maybe a little bit of money too, host Josh Lloyd in the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is absolutely your go-to pod for that. So make sure you listen and subscribe. All right, the first game in the post-Thibodeau era was last night. The Minnesota Timberwolves getting a bit of a surprising 119-117 win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. John, is this just the kind of initial like surge of momentum and kind of bounce back after firing a coach that we kind of see somewhat often? Yeah, you know, you get that fired coach bump that you, you, you do see very often. On top of that, though, the coach that's coming in is Ryan Saunders, who's the son of Flip Saunders. And if you watched the any social media after the game, the reaction in the locker room was very, very cool. And some people are spinning it, and my initial reaction was, boy, those guys really were happy to get, get Tibbs out of there. 
maybe there was some of that, but the fact that it was Flip's son, and the guy is 32, he's the youngest head coach to win his debut, actually since Dave Cowens did it in 1978, is a player coach for the Boston Celtics, which is wild. But that scene after the game with, with Ryan Saunders was super, super cool. And on top of it, the first play of the game he revealed afterwards is a play that his dad his dad loved. It was his father's favorite play called 552 Twists, and he had to run that in honor of his dad. So the emotions of it all were, were just – it kind of helped power them through injuries. I mean, they still had – uh, they, they were they're very shorthanded. Uh, Covington was out. Uh, a couple other guys, no Derek Rose. So the emotions of this particular guy as their head coach really helped them beyond the normal fired coach bump. Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor. I didn't know that about the play. That's really cool, and that's gonna make me make me root for this team a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. What- what also probably helped them win this game was a 40-point outburst from Andrew Wiggins, which is not something I think we can see on an any given night. 40 points on 24 shots. He didn't shoot particularly well from the field. He was 11 of 24. It's under 40, under 50% there. He did hit two threes. The big thing was him getting to the line 18 times on the night just himself. The Thunder got there 26 times. It, they're not getting 40 point games from Andrew Wiggins with somewhat uh, good scoring efficiency. I don't think. No, but I will say that Wiggins is on a tear. It started probably you can say at the Minnesota at Boston game where he dropped 31 on 10 of 18 shooting. He only had 16 that next night, but then he had 28 and then the 40 point game against OKC. It's also his second 30 point game against OKC this season. So it, and when, when you have three 30 point games and two of them come against one team, the people in Oklahoma city are going to be like, okay, let's, let's just not let Wiggins back into town. Let's find some way to get like, <laughs> get a like plane trouble, whatever it is. But yeah, uh, when Wiggins is playing like this, and this is the reaction that everybody had after the game, pe- people are saying, this is why he got the big contract. And it's these flashes of him being brilliant that are is is what's been so tantalizing about him. He's still he's still a young guy. It's it's another guy who is still finding his way in the NBA, and and maybe he should have found it sooner. But this I don't know if this is the beginning of anything, but it's certainly a nice stretch for Wiggins. And if he can continue being at least somewhat near this good, then who knows? Maybe there, maybe there was something about Thibodeau that was holding him back, or, or maybe he's just happens to be coincidentally at the end of this relationship with him, starting to figure some things out. So, so with that, then I, I know you and I have talked about um, Thibodeau on here and we're not huge fans of him. But was this the right move, do you think, to make like in the middle of the year kind of weird timing? It felt like they should have done this a while ago. Is it just the right thing to do it now and kind of figure out what you have and try and salvage the season? Or should they have been better off trying to ride this out, do you think, with him as head coach? Well, I I agree. I was one of the people who said at the beginning he should have been gone. Yeah, you and I, we talked about it on the pod here. It's like, what are they doing, basically? So I, I guess on one hand, actually forget the on one hand thing. 
once once it's determined that this guy should be gone, every day that you don't do it is one day too late. So doing it when they did was the right time only because they hadn't done it sooner. So I, I do think, and I like Tibbs. Like he's a he's a good guy. He's a good coach. He understands basketball very well. His his biggest downfall is that he just does not understand the modern concept of rest and minutes management and load management. And he just needs to be better at that. And I don't know if he can be better at that, which means I think he his, doesn't exactly have the best track record. and doesn't seem like the type of guy or coach that makes you think he's going to kind of change his approach. Let me tell you something. There was a game when he was an assistant coach in Boston and doc rivers got tossed and he coached. I think there was the second half. I forget what game it was. He subbed once in the second half. <laughs> okay. And that was everybody's warning signal. I, I can't remember which game it was, but he subbed once in that game. And afterwards people were like, Oh, that's a weird thing. But that, but no, it's not a weird thing. That was a Thibs thing. And that's, that's it's just, just what he does. Yeah. It's what he is. He is going to be a fantastic assistant coach and he's going to be defensively. He's a genius. And, and I think he's one of those guys that this is kind of where he tops out. He's as a, a genius assistant coach that has problems as a head coach. Yeah. So I think that probably kind of sums it up pretty well. I mean, they had to make the move. Like you said, I like yeah, what you said there. It's the absolutely. right time because they didn't do it before. So every day now was going to be the right time to to get rid of him. And I think it's kind of proven you can't kind of have that guy hold the dual role. And it sounds like Minnesota is going to go in a different direction with that. So some of the names that have come up that we can touch on quickly is Fred Hoiberg, either no. as their GM or head coach. Do you like him for no. either of those two spots? No. Like, no. <laughs> that that's that seems pretty defiant or adamant here. So they have the kind of like hard ass coach in there before. Do they need to maybe go the complete opposite direction? You know, th these teams tend to hire kind of a similar guy to what they had before and you try and go on the flip side of it. So is that maybe the way to do it? I think they just need to find the guy that will feature Carl Anthony towns properly, whoever it is. And it, maybe it is Ryan Saunders. Who knows? But whomever is out there that can properly maximize Carl Anthony Towns, because Carl Anthony Towns is in the Anthony Davis mode, is in the freak of nature unicorn mode of a guy who's big, who can play in the post, who can face up, who can shoot, who can defend if he's motivated and if he's used properly. Just find whomever it is. I don't care. If, if it is Fred Hoiberg, maybe. I mean, obviously, everybody in the NBA sphere, at least covering teams, says that that's a huge, huge mistake. But who knows? If he can figure out how to properly use Carl Anthony Towns, we, we saw it in the playoffs, Jake. The, the, yeah. When he was standing out there in the three-point line, and he was barely used at critical times. Like, that's horrible. So... Anybody who can figure out how to use Carl Anthony Towns properly gets the job. 
Uh, another name that's been mentioned that I want to touch on is Monty Williams, the now Philadelphia 76ers assistant coach, formerly front office with the Spurs before this season, and then the former head coach of New Orleans down here, who's a guy that I think everyone holds in maybe the highest regard and is probably one of just the greatest humans in the NBA. I actually don't think he's a fit for that job either because I think he's kind of too tough. He goes with those like long practices and all of that. And also during some of his tenure here, it was early on in ad's career he didn't exactly feature or use him the best so like you say that job's kind of about how are you going to unlock towns and get what you want out of him and i don't know if that's a name that's going to be there so maybe it is um saunders job to lose or maybe another person comes in but it's going to be interesting to kind of see the direction they try and go there i think the lesson that we're learning here is that the days of the gm and head coach have got to end They've got to end. It's just too, too difficult to do both jobs in the NBA. Maybe once upon a time, and maybe there's a freak of nature coaching wise that, that can figure out how to do both. But I don't think so. I think today's offenses and defense have gotten too intricate. I think you need somebody that can focus their energy on building the relationships with players. I do think that part of the problem with Thibodeau was that he was distracted from his role of interacting with guys, just, just talking, spending time, not worried about player personnel moves, spending time going and talking to these guys. And at the same time, the coach's job is to make a personal connection with players and a GM's job is to be cold hearted, cold blooded, and to be able to make a move that is completely devoid of emotion. I seen it firsthand at Danny Ainge in Boston trading Isaiah Thomas yep. after the season that he had. You have got to be cold blooded as an executive and that is completely opposite of what a head coach is supposed to do, gaining the trust of players, learning how those guys tick, becoming emotionally attached in a lot of ways. You can't be an executive and make the right moves because you develop favorites on your team that you want to keep around as a coach that as a GM, you know that they have to be included in a trade. So that dual role has got to stop in the NBA. Yeah, and they're definitely not going to go that route in Minnesota this offseason when they fill those positions, which hey, if you're a Wolves fan, that's a great thing to hear. Before we go on this topic, I, and we're talking about this game, I have to say that thoughts are going out to Nerlens yes. Noel. Yes, yes, yes. Nerlens Noel took a vicious shot. So, Andrew, if you didn't see it, Andrew Wiggins was going up for a dunk. It's a play that happens a million times, but his elbow caught Nerlens Noel right in the face, just square, right square in the face. And I, I do believe that Noel was unconscious as yeah. he was falling down. And so he's up contesting a shot and gets knocked out. So then he's dead weight falling and his head then hits the floor on top of it. He was clearly, clearly unconscious when they, when they attended to him, he was yep. rolled out on a stretcher. It's such a brutal thing especially for a guy with his injury history now to have to, to go through this. I, I'm not even worried about his basketball anymore. That was such a brutal hit to the head. I just hope he's okay. 
Yeah, that was scary. We should have mentioned that earlier, I guess, that you saw that. So the update that I read on that was he's taken to a local hospital. We'll hopefully get an update on him today. Nothing specific about what's going on. But yeah, as you said, on the, I don't know if he was knocked out cold in the air or when his head hit the ground once he fell. But he was very clearly out. Very scary moment. Like you said, we're just kind of hoping he's healthy, which is a shame because I like his role there with the Thunder and what he was doing. And I thought he was having a pretty decent season. And so everyone thinking about Nerland's Noel um, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. So before we touch on two guys in the NBA who haven't really played much this year, do want to let you all know that if you got a smart speaker over the holidays, you can use it to listen to your favorite podcast. And we hope that favorite podcast is the Locked On NBA podcast. Just tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NBA and you'll get the latest episode hands-free at your convenience. Doesn't get much better than that. So tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NBA. NBA. So some news coming out in the NBA, maybe investigating that deal that Patrick McCaw had with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, signing him for two years, six million, unguaranteed to kind of just pry him away from the Warriors, then immediately waving him after just three games. John, is this a sketchy move? It might be. It might be. It might be. Uh, it's hard to say. It, the giving them the benefit of doubt take is Patrick McCaw is an interesting guy. They offered him a deal that gave them like a week to look at him. And if they didn't like what they saw, then they say, all right, see ya. And, and that's it. Wipe, wipe your hands of it. And they can make that case. And probably whatever the motivation was, they can beat the rap. However, however, Patrick McCaw has wanted to be an unrestricted free agent. Every restricted free agent wants to be unrestricted. So there's a possibility that the Chicago Bulls, with their cap space, with an upcoming uh, free agent bonanza coming up, decided that a Bill Duffy client, Bill Duffy, one of the major agents in the NBA. I was about to say, yep. He's got free agents like... Nick Vucevic, like Nick Meritich, like uh, Pat Beverly, guys that Chicago could probably use. And if they came around with an offer that they knew Golden State wouldn't match and Bill Duffy was shopping his client around, shopping for somebody to do him a solid, why not, if you're Chicago, say, hey, Bill, we got you. We got you. No problem. And then when free agency rolls around, Maybe Patrick Beverly gives Chicago a visit when he wouldn't have. Maybe Vooch gives him a visit when he wouldn't have. Like, that's the little gamesmanship that goes on. It, do I blame them? No. Is it, 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 could they get dinged a, a draft pick? Man, that would suck for them because they're on, on their way to a very, very good draft pick in a, a t- very top-heavy draft. So... They, I don't think, are going to get punished because they have enough plausible deniability. But I can absolutely see them doing the uh, doing the agent a favor, and it's going to be super interesting to see who signs with Chicago in the offseason. 
Yeah, so you mean the the Cavs, not Chicago, I'm right? sorry, I'm sorry. I yeah. saying Chicago. They're all C's. It's you said Bulls. Cavs. It's good. I knew Cavs. what you meant. We got I'm you covered sorry. here. It's late at night. Uh, <laughs> I've already so, done the Lockdown Celtics podcast. I've been writing all day. My apologies. No, it's all good. We know what's going on. So, yeah, you know, playing like favor and doing favors for agents is a big thing. I can tell you the Pels basically when they released uh, Terrence Jones a couple of years ago when he shared the same agent as Cousins to just let him go pick his next team rather than trade him somewhere and get a piece back is probably a move like that where you could just you know do like you said do a solid for these agents keep good relationships for them and hope that they repay the favor in some way and sometimes you see a lot of this when guys get released when someone else gets signed rather than traded and a lot of it's because of that it's interesting though because clearly they wanted to also spite the warriors just a little bit with a move that probably doesn't really impact the warriors whatsoever Although I think the level of pettiness is kind of funny here, I guess. But yeah, if they sign him and he signs for less than the three million, well, that looks good. They can also now sign him to a one-year deal versus a two, which you couldn't do in restricted free agency. I think that's maybe a factor as well. But yeah, this looks kind of sketchy, and it's probably right for the NBA to investigate this. But overall, this is probably not that big of a deal, right? It's not that big of a deal. It's just the the sketchiness behind it that if they, if they do in fact sign one of Duffy's clients, then that's a good point. That becomes the, uh, that it just makes it too obvious. And and again, if you're a front office, this is something that you could easily do. Like you you sign the guy, non-guaranteed contract. Sure. You, you kind of screw over a team that you want to, you want to, screw over, but they were never going to sign. Golden state was never going to sign this guy. So whatever McCaw, they don't need McCaw, but so, go ahead. So, oh, no, no, no. Keep, keep going. Cause my, I, mine is way less serious. No, I, I was just, I, no, I was just going to say that these, this type of gamesmanship happens all the time. It, it's kind of like the Lakers getting fined for tampering. It, it happens all over the place. This type of stuff happens all over the place. It's not that anybody should be upset that it happened. It's that you dummies did it just so blatantly that you're getting caught. It's your own fault. If you get caught and you lose a draft pick again, I don't think so because they've got that plausible deniability, but just don't make it this obvious. If, if they lose that draft pick, I will laugh. Oh my so God. Hard. So let me ask you this, which mm-hmm. is somewhat related to this. What's the sketchiest move you've ever pulled trying to circumvent the rules of something? And did you get away with it? <laughs> I have done everything above board my entire life, my friend. I totally believe that. And, totally. And you can't prove otherwise. I was uh, like tr- trying to think of what I've done. I'm like, I don't know if I can say some of these out loud because <laughs> like the repercussions may come back to me years later. S- Sketchiest move I've made. I, I mean, uh, see, I got I got busted for it. Um, I remember when I was in college, I so I I went to school for two years and then I took a year off and then I went back and my back then we had like a separate meal card that you'd sl- swipe to get in and for some reason mine still worked at one of the at one of the cafeterias so I just went in and was just eating for free. And then I good. Yeah. So, I mean, I spent 
And then, but I ultimately, I did something stupid. I went to another location and it didn't work and they took it from me and I got, I got caught. So that, I guess it's, it does fall in line with this because it's a very silly thing to get busted for. Uh, Luckily, luckily the Dean of Students was a basketball fan and brought me in and we sat down and had a conversation. He's like, John, what am I going to do here? I was like, look, man, I'm sorry. I apologized. <laughs> I said, I, I, I basically I did it because I was broke. Like, like every college kid. I was like, I'm broke. I saw an opportunity to eat. I saw an opportunity with my friends and my teammates. So I took it. So if you want me to go work it off, I'll go work in the cafeteria and, and do it that way. Like I'll, that my punishment is to work in the cafeteria, which I did for like a week. And they were like, all right, fine, you're done. So that's my sketchiest move, I guess. Yeah, that's not too bad. No, exactly. Just like, like this isn't too bad. There you go. Just can't be stupid about it. Like, yeah, I was, just don't get caught. That's it. Don't get caught. So don't moving be on to, <laughs> don't be blatant. Moving on to another guy who hasn't played at all this year, and that's Demarcus Cousins. His return date tentatively set for January 18th against the Los, Los Angeles Clippers. Is this a big deal, or is this just kind of like ah, eh, whatever? Uh, it's a big deal. Because he's going to have basically a month to slowly work himself in and then get to the all-star break and kind of reassess. Uh, I, I think I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal right away. But just the fact that he's back mid-season, it, I think it's a big deal. When you're as good as Boogie Cousins and you're going to a team that's, I don't want to say struggling, but... This this is the Warriors that we expected. Like we we always knew that they weren't going to be playing up to their their best potential at this point. It's January. It's the doldrums. So getting him back at this point, it it gives the the Warriors a little something to kind of you know snap their focus a little bit at, at a, a downtime in the season. And and who knows? They'll they'll start to get to figure out exactly how he fits. So I think it's a big deal in that. He's a re- a really good player, and they'll start to figure out how they could integrate a really good player into their system slowly. Yeah, it gives them like three months really to get ready for the NBA playoffs, which is probably what you want. And I'm assuming he's going to be on a minutes restriction the whole time. This comes less than a year after the injury happened. It happened on January 26th of last year. So under a year to make your return to the court for a big man after that, I think is Pretty impressive. This also, his return comes two days after they'll have played the Pelicans in um, in Oracle, which I don't know if that's good or bad for Pelicans fans because the Warriors are probably going to win that game and they really don't want Cousins to win. But also, he's not going to play much and probably won't impact it. So maybe that would have been nice to see. But it's pretty. It's nice to see him back on the court, right? Like this is a huge, a great player. Even 80% of him, if he reaches that, is a, just a monster out on the court. Well, look, I, I'm happy to see any injured player return to the court. You, you go out there, regardless of whether he you like him or you don't, these are guys who are supremely talented. They've all worked very hard, and injuries suck. I hate I hate injuries. Everybody hates injuries. So to see him come back uh, is, is very good, and that's exciting. And, and when you have a good player returning to the NBA, it's always good to see that. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to see him back. And it's going to be fun to see exactly how they use him, and and if if he can regain 
or not if, but how much of his former self he can regain. And again, being a Boston guy watching Gordon Hayward come back from a very, very tough injury, it's probably going to take longer than people expect. So I don't think he's going to come in and, and have awesome games, but who knows? Maybe he'll surprise people. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see him back on the court. And again, three months to kind of work himself back in shape, get in there and hopefully earn him some more money this offseason. I also like the idea of ending the podcast on we don't ever root for injuries. We want these guys to come back because injuries yeah. suck. Injuries suck, man. We just want everybody to go out there and play basketball and let it, let things happen. Yeah, that's the way to do it. So that's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Don't forget to subscribe. Please leave a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Helps keep this free and five days a week for you all. And as always, on Wednesday, I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. And I am John Corrales. I do know the difference between the Chicago Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm also the co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast and the beat writer for MassLive.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. Thank you all for listening. We'll, we'll be back with you all next week.